you have decided to tune in. We believe God has something very special for you um, this morning. And we're doing a teaching about not quitting. Can I get a witness? Don't quit. We're in a time and a place where it's very discouraging. Doesn't look good, right? Things are just changing all of the time, all of the time, all of the time. We're a people that is not, are not supposed to quit. I'm going to quote you Albert Einstein. We would consider him to be a pretty smart guy. He said this, Within every difficulty lies an opportunity. If you are willing to overcome the obstacles that the, that the difficulty presents. So every difficulty has an opportunity. But there are always obstacles within, the, within that difficulty. The Bible says this, A righteous person may fall seven times, yet they keep rising. There's an expectation upon the life of the believer. God has an expectation over us. We're not a bunch of like whiny, rolling around, quit, first sign of trouble, we give up. That's not what God expects of his sons and daughters. He doesn't expect that of us. He expects us to have endurance. He expects us to have faith. And he expects us to have perseverance. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible is Hebrews chapter 10. It says, the just shall live by faith. What God is telling them is no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the outward is telling you, no matter anything, you are to have faith. And if you draw back, my soul has no pleasure in you. So if we want to please the Lord, we lean in. We don't lean away. We lean in with faith. We don't lean away. This is what God is telling us. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and a lot of the things in God's word are given to us to encourage us. They're given to us. Jesus has got the whole world in his hands. I don't know if you know that. He's got everything in his hands. He's not worried. He's not freaked out. He's talking to his disciples here in John chapter 16. He's about to go to the cross. Right? He's distressed. He's going to get distressed in the garden. Not because of what man is going to do to him, but because of what he's going to have to endure spiritually by taking the sin of the world upon him. And Jesus says this, These things I've spoken to you, So that you may have peace. I'm telling you what's happening beforehand. I'm letting you know because I know what's going to happen. And I want you to understand that I'm well aware of this. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Come on, somebody get a witness on that. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And 1 John tells us that what overcomes the world is our faith. God is always driving us to faith. Faith is trusting in and believing in the promises of God. This word trouble is the Greek word thipsis. Say it with me. Thipsis. That's right. You're speaking Greek this morning. There you are. This will really illustrate it. So the word trouble, we think, well, what does trouble mean? It means compression. Uh-huh. It means to be rubbed against violently. It means to be confined or to find yourself without options. That's what that word means. Very descriptive word, right? To be pressed against by outside forces, compressed, to be rubbed painfully against, and to be confined in a way, hemmed in is the word, where there is no escape. Everybody, anybody ever feel that way? No way out? Pressure? Suffocating pressure? Crushed? Irritated? Right? Rubbed against? (laughs) The world rubs against us? You know, thing just irritates you? Rubbing against you all the time? God has told us, he says, listen, in this world, this is what's going to happen to you. I'm aware of that. I'm aware that you're going to feel confined. I'm aware that you're going to feel pressured. I'm aware that you're going to feel irritated and rubbed against. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of it. In this world, this is what's going to happen. But we're not called to his world, are we? Or to this world. We're called to his world, aren't we? This world we are not called to. We are called to live in His world, on earth as it is in heaven. We have an overcoming power. Jesus has overcome the world. And that overcoming power is given to the Christian through faith and the activation of God's promises and the full presence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wild? When you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's as if the world doesn't even exist. It's as if there's no problems that are out there. I was reading Hebrews chapter 10 last night. I love that chapter. And I'm amazed how many verses I, keep, I quote from that, that one chapter all the time. I'm like, wow, I quote this chapter a lot, like in my own life. And one of the things it was, it was talking about that through Christ, the consciousness of sin is removed. 
And we were t- I was telling Sherry that, and she's like, you know, I, we were just kind of chewing on it together, and I was telling her, it's like, and I was trying to figure out, like, how is that, when I, when I was a new believer, I used to try to figure out, what does it mean to have the consciousness of sin removed? I know I'm saved, I know I'm born again, but I'm, I'm painfully aware <laughs> of my shortcomings. I'm painfully aware of my failures. I'm painfully aware of my mistakes in my selfish pursuits. I'm painfully aware of that. So what does it mean to have the consciousness of sin removed in the spirit? That's what it means. In the spirit, you have no consciousness of sin, do you? You're not, you just, you're in another place, another atmosphere. The consciousness of your former self is not even there. The awareness is his presence. The awareness is his kingdom. If we want to escape the, the compression, the being rubbed against, the confining, the, 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 the feelings of being without options, it's found in his presence. We just sang a song. Couldn't have been more perfect. Right? Here in your presence. We find yourself without options, but we have an advantage. The Christian has an advantage that the world does not. I don't know how people make it. I don't know two things. There's two things I don't know. I don't know how Christians do it without the Holy Spirit. That's number one. And number two, I don't know how the world does it without Jesus. I don't know how. The pressure that comes upon us, even in this life, you can feel the unbearableness of it at times. But we have... An outlet. We have an escape. We have a resource. We have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God. We have the presence and the power of his kingdom. We have a church that we are mutually to encourage one another and pray for one another. We have options. Worldly people don't. Religious Christians, I don't know how they do it. Doctrine isn't going to get it done. Doctrine tells you how to stand up straight, salute, and keep, you know, and follow the leader. That's doctrine. But doctrine doesn't alleviate anything. Because the word kills, but the spirit gives life. In order for the word to manifest life, it must be empowered by the spirit. That's the only way life comes through the word of God. Otherwise, it's a, it's a harsh book. I mean, you ever read it? It comes across harsh at times. Let's just be honest. But when you empower it with the spirit and you empower it with the heart of God and the love of God, it opens up. It blooms. You see something in it that was never there. You begin to understand and it begins revealed to you. Perseverance is the believer's lifestyle. Believer's lifestyle. Understand that? We don't run from, we run unto. We don't lean away, we lean into faith. What am I supposed to do? Have faith. Faith in what? The goodness of God and the promises of God. That's where we have faith. God is for you, he's not against you. And if God be for you, who could be, who, what could be against you? What shall separate from the love of God? And we think that the love of God is this emotional feeling that God has towards us. The love of God is God actively seeking your highest good. What can separate you from God's willful intent to seek your highest good? That's what it's saying. God is constantly, Holy Spirit is constantly seeking to elevate you. To sanctify you, to sanctify you in order to glorify you. You're justified. He wants you to get to know your identity. Spirit of God is trying to get you to understand that you're justified. And then he wants to get you sanctified in order that you may be glorified. That's Romans. Whom he justified, he sanctified. And whom he sanctified, he glorified. That's the process that the Spirit of God is moving in our lives. Wanting you to understand that you are justified in him. You're not justified in yourself. You're not justified in your actions. You're not justified by any other means except through Jesus. And in Christ, you are justified. You are made right. Given a title and given an inheritance. Hello. He wants you to get to understand that you are who you are. This is the spirit. Then he wants you to understand that you're sanctified. Then he wants to sanctify you. He wants to cut you away and remove from you the lies that you believe. And yes, you believe lies. I know Christians who can quote the Bible like a machine gun, but they don't believe God is good. You believe a lie. They don't believe in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. You believe a lie. They don't believe healing is for day. You believe, you believe a lie. They believe the prophetic ceased with the apostles. You believe a lie. You can, you can quote Genesis to Revelation, chapter and verse, every highway and byway of the word. But if you believe lies, you can believe lies and know the truth. And still believe lies. 
And so the Holy Spirit's process in our life is to sanctify us. Number one, sanctify us from ourselves, the lies that we believe, to heal the wounds, to set us apart, and then sanctify us from the habits and the hang-ups that we carry. The destructive habits and the destructive hang-ups that continually hinder our lives. This is what he's doing. He's not doing it to shame you. He's doing it to bless you. He's not doing it to hurt you. He's doing it to elevate you. Cutting off relationships, people, places, and things. Everybody say it with me. Ouch. That's right. Hurts so good. He prunes the branches. Pruning the branches is not a good thing, right? When you look at that plant, you ever see people prune the branches? I talk a lot about, I used to love to prune. But when you prune the branches, man, when you really prune it, you look, like, you look at that plant and you're thinking, I killed it. It's dead. I only left three leaves on that thing, man. It's going to die. And what they do with um, grapevines is they shear them down to the stalk. They cut those things down almost to, to nothing. And then they bind it to something. They attach it to something in order that its growth can be strengthened. This is God's will in our lives. This is why he works. He's working to sanctify you. Stop. Don't fight him when he's trying to sanctify you. He's trying to remove things and reveal things in our lives. Pressure, one of the things pressure does is it reveals impurities. It reveals lies that you believe. If you feel like you're going down, who told you that? You feel like God doesn't love you, who told you that? You feel like Jesus isn't going to come through, who told you that? Your Bible doesn't say that. The Holy Spirit isn't talking that. But you're believing something that's not being spoken by the Word of God. You're believing something that's not being spoken to you by the Holy Spirit. Who told you that? Who told you that you're, this is the, the worst days are in front of you? Every time there is a difficulty, no matter what happens in the world, God's people always flourish. Always. They go through circumstances. They're transformed by the circumstances. You may go under the circumstance, but you're going to come up on the other side. That's how God is. We are cast down but not forsaken. We overcome when everybody else is overwhelmed. We walk in what other people sink in. We have an ability to walk through a storm. Did not Peter walk in a storm? Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Didn't he do it? We can walk through storms. Huh? It doesn't matter if the storm, yet we have, but what God is calling us to, faith. Faith into who he is, faith into who you are, and faith in the power of his spirit. I've been around a lot of churches over the years, and I've taken into my collection different perspectives, different philosophies, different viewpoints. I've put them all together, and then I've realized, and I've got my own in there, and I've mixed them all together, and I start separating the pieces. You know, I start separating these things, and then I can find the wholeness of what God is actually saying. We walk through things. God has called us to faith and believe in his promises. There's a passive faith. God is not looking for passive faith. He's looking for intentional faith. Believing him at the point of promise. There's no half measures. Bus stop waiting. He wants you waiting on him. He wants you expecting him. He wants you doing what he told you to do. Did I tell you to stop doing that? No. But everybody else, it doesn't matter what anybody says. We do what he tells us. We do not live by bread alone. We live by what? Every word that comes forth from his mouth. We live by the Logos, the Logos word, and we live by the Rhema word, the revealed word, and we live by the profe, the prophetic word. That's how we are supposed to live as believers. If you're living only by the Logos, you're living by ritual rites and just structures. We have to, the, the, the Logos is important because it's a framework. But it wouldn't be enough if you didn't put dressing on a house, if you just built timber, you know, and you didn't put a face on it, you didn't put windows on it. The revealed word shows the beauty and the prophetic word shows the direction or the path forward. Say this with me. Change is an option, but quitting is not. There is no such thing as quitting in the Bible. I used to have my kids would want to quit. I don't want to do it anymore, Daddy. And I used to tell them, is your middle name quitter? I'd say, what's your middle name? Mariah Starr. Is your middle name quitter? No. Okay, then you're not quitting. What's your name? Elias Charles. Are you quitting? No. No quitters. We don't allow quitters. Failure is acceptable as long as the effort was made. It's exactly how Jesus is looking at us. 
to make no effort is not acceptable. To make an effort and sink in the water like Peter, that's all right. He didn't have a problem with that. I mean, he pulls you up and he said, wow, good job. He didn't rebuke him, didn't correct him, didn't smack him around. Told him, wow, that was great. What he should have done is said, where were you other 11? Why didn't you guys get out of the boat? That's what he should have done, but he didn't. To try and fail in God's kingdom, that's not, that's not something that's rejected. What is rejected is cowardice. What is rejected is an unwillingness to try, an unwillingness to have faith, an unwillingness to step forward. Faith is a lack of faith is what's rebuked. And if you really want to know what a lack of faith is, the Bible calls it cowardice. It uses the word cowardly, non-believing, cowardly. We don't just believe, we believe to the point of action. So what are we supposed to change? You're supposed to change your thinking. You're supposed to change your attitude. And you're supposed to change your actions. And here's where it gets painful. In some instances, your associations. So here's your thinking. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Stop thinking like everybody else. Stop believing what everybody is believing. Stop listening to the rhetoric and the doomsayers. We listen to more news prophets than we listen to God's prophets. Right? Oh, come on. We react to the media prophetic rather than the spirit prophetic. True. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but by be transformed. How are we transformed? By renewing our mind. What does that mean? Thinking as he thinks. Seeing as he sees. Knowing as he knows. You have that ability. You are endowed with an ability to think as he thinks. In the spirit. You are endowed with an ability to see as he sees. You are endowed with an ability by the Holy Spirit to hear as he hears. It's given to you. It's yours. Doesn't mean you're using it, but it's yours. It belongs to you. We are transformed. Come on, I got it. I'm going to get faith out of somebody here today. <laughs> Somebody's going to get faith. By the renewing of your mind, we have to begin to say, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you doing? Jesus didn't listen to the voices of the culture. When the voices of the culture became overwhelmed, he separated himself. Nobody even knew where he was. He'd just disappear for days on end. And what was he doing? He was getting the mind of his father. One of my favorite stories. I love this story. Jesus is gone. They're all looking for him. Peter's like, dude, you're blowing up. You're a rock star. The whole city's looking for you, man. There's news cameras there. They're, they're going to put you on satellite TV. And everybody wants to know where you went. And Jesus is like, well, we're leaving. We're going to the other towns. And they're like, but wait a second. It's, it's all happening here. And Peter's like, Jesus is like, no, we're going to preach the gospel and going to do the will of the Father in another, another city. His interest wasn't, what, wasn't, in, wasn't in cultural opinions or cultural perspectives. His interest was in what his father wanted. That's got to be our interest. That's got to be the thing. We have to think as he thinks and see as he sees. What is esteemed of men is despised of God, the Bible says. There's a lot of things that people esteem that God despises. True. We esteem vanity. God despises vanity. These seven things the Lord hates. A proud look is first on the list. Vain, proud, boastful, arrogant, know-it-alls. That's esteemed in our culture. We esteem that. We have entire uh, social media platforms built on the premise of vanity. Instagram is vanity central. I'm not against Instagram. But all you see is people's highlight reels on there, right? That's it. It's everybody's, you know, best. And then you look and you're like, oh, I stink, man. Oh, you know. You start comparing yourself. They that compare themselves among themselves are not wise, the scripture says. What does God esteem? Not human vanity. We don't esteem. We glory. If we glory, we glory in him. Jesus is our glory. The light shines. And we're the mirror. Ha <laughs> ha. Shine on me, Jesus. Shine on me. I would rather glow with the goodness of God than shine in the lights of men. So we have to renew our minds. We have to change our attitudes. Ephesians says, put off your former self. Stop being who you were. Your former you. Right? Christians come and they don't ever change. 
They give their lives to Jesus and the Bible says their scent remains. They smell the same way. They think the same way. They act the same way as when they did when they came, when they, before they knew him. Their hearts are converted, but their lives are not transformed. And the scripture tells us, stop living like your former self. You got to get rid of things. People who come to Jesus, man, you got to get rid of stuff. You got to get rid of it. I had to get rid of everything. I had an amazing CD collection. Rolling Stones, ACDC. I had music that was crazy good, right? All of my old habits, I got rid of everything. Everything. All of the music that I listened to, all of the drinking that I used to do, all of the people that I associated with. For three full years, I went into nothing but devotion unto Christ. No one had to tell me that. No one had to tell me that. I just didn't want my former life anymore. And Jesus promised me something way better. And through a process of purification and detoxification, I was able to come to another place of understanding. Years have gone by. The music used to trigger me. So I would hear a song and it would trigger me to a memory that I had or to a place that I had or it would invoke in me something that I didn't like. It would take me away from where I wanted to be. People, places, and things. Right? It doesn't do that anymore. I can listen to it. I'm like, yeah. I'm indifferent to it now because of the work that God has done in me. Not because I'm super holy. I'm not super holy. But, I, but now what it is is it's, it's reclaiming. When you come to Christ, if you want to move with Jesus, you have to lay things down. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. This is how the game is played. If you don't, there's no change. You have to get rid of things out of your life. You have to completely eradicate them, brutally. If your arm offends, you cut it off. If your eye offends, you get rid of it. Get rid of anything that gets in the way of keeping you from not only coming to Christ, but living into Him as who you are called to be. Get rid of it. That's, that's, that's literal. We can't live like the devil and claim to be Christians. We can't bind ourselves to old patterns and habits and manifest the kingdom. It's impossible. It cannot be done. Yet somehow in the craziness of our thinking, we think that we can keep doing the stupid things that we used to do. We, you can date the same boyfriends, date the same girlfriends, hang out with the same friends and do the same things and expect to be changed. Who told you that? Who's deceived you? What lie have you bought into that makes you think that that's what's going to change? It's called, you have to lay down things and then over time you can reclaim them. You can reclaim them. I knew a guy who's a worship guy. He used to play in rock bands, travel musicians, studio musicians, all this other stuff. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was the name of the game for him. When he came to Christ, he would not even touch a guitar. He got rid of everything. And of course, the Christians, well, man, you play rock and roll music, come on up here and play. He wasn't at that place. That's not where he needed to be. It's not where he needed to be. He plays music in a worship band now, but before he, he couldn't do that. He had to lay that, he had to get rid of that. He had to purge out of himself all of the former things, the attitudes, the actions. He had to learn Christ. Yeah? As you have learned Christ, so walk in him. He had to learn Jesus. And when he learned Jesus and allowed that purification to take place where his understanding shifted and the focus was not on himself or on his insane abilities, he said, I don't care how good I am. I don't care what I look like. I don't care who I was. I'm not doing, that's not me anymore. I crucify it. I lay it down and it's called a reclaiming. God will bring you to a place to where you will reclaim it. Reclaim it. A lot of people come to Jesus and God cuts them off from relationships. They used to run from one dysfunctional relationship to another, right? And God calls you to live a season where there is nothing. Why? Because he's teaching you to love only him. He's trying to teach you your identity. He's trying to teach you your purpose. Because if you keep going, that, you're going to repeat the pattern of your own dysfunction. You're going to repeat the pattern of your own destruction. It, this goes on and on and on. There's so many areas this applies to Put off your former self and be made new in the attitude of your heart. Have a different attitude. Have a different perspective. You got to be, you got to change in your actions. This is what it means to not quit. Change. Luke 12, 35. I love it. Be dressed in readiness. Dress like you're ready for something, right? Get up, get ready, prepare yourself, have an expectation and light your lamp. You're discouraged. You feel like you want to quit. 
Prepare yourself because God's got a promise for you. Get ready. So it's telling you. And light your lamp. What does that mean? Worship the Holy Spirit. The lampstand represents the Holy Spirit. The lamp represents Him. The oil represents the anointing. The fire represents the, pay, the, the, the flame of God. Get excited. Get ready. Have a different attitude and focus on something in a different way and put some fire on your lamp. Isn't that interesting? Put some fire on your lamp. Begin to worship. Whatever gets you there. Get out of the old. Get into the new. Doesn't matter. Say the house is burning down. Then let it burn down in the anointing. You know, let it, if whatever, God gives me beauty for ashes. If everything burns down around me, I'm going to give Jesus the ash heap of my life. And my Bible says that he will give me beauty for ashes. Yeah. I'm weary. Everything's burned around you. He lifts the weary from the ashes, sets them among princes. I'm barren. I can't make anything happen. I can't make anything work. Nothing works. He gives the barren woman healing. Uh-huh. And she dances with joy as a mother of children. He multiplies for her things that she cannot do for herself. Be dressed in readiness. <laughs> Light your lamp. And then the last one is this, the associations. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good habits. But I'm going to lead him to Jesus. No, you're not. But I'm going to lead her to Jesus. No, you're not. The percentages are extremely low. If that dude won't come to Jesus on his own, he's not worth the time. I'm telling you, if she doesn't want Christ, she's not worth the time. You cannot yoke an ox with an ass, the Bible says. They pull in different directions. God's sons and daughters are oxen. We plow the field. We make the work. We carry it forward. We bear the yoke of the Lord. The jackass doesn't want to go anywhere. Doesn't want to get up. Doesn't want to go to church. Doesn't want to teach the kids the Bible. Doesn't want to have anything spiritual going on in a home. Gets disturbed about all the conversations about God. If you're that way and you claim to be a Christian, the Bible says you're a jackass. You're stubborn. You're stubborn. True. You run away. The Bible says that it talks about the jackass a lot. It says as soon as a scent is known, the jackass leaves the stable and heads to the mountain. As soon as they feel a, a whiff of indulgence, a whiff of sensuality, a whiff of something, the jackass leaves. Yeah. Bails. Runs away from Jesus. Runs out of the relationship. Whatever's going on, that's the jackass. Jackass wants to sit down when the ox wants to pull. Jackass wants to go right when the ox wants to go left. That's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> We're not to yoke ourselves that way. It becomes terrible. It becomes horrible. The fight is the fight of faith. That's what it is. We fight faith. We fight in faith. Why? Because everything is trying to steal your faith. Everything is trying to steal your faith. That's why we fight the fight of faith. Rag on your head, knife in your teeth, backstreet, alley fight. That's what faith is. That's it. When we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, that's the kind of fight the Christian does. Rag on your head, knife in your face. There's not even an octagon because there's no rules in these fights. You think the devil plays fair? You don't know him. You think circumstances play fair? Oh, come on. We don't even have to go there. People already know that. It's not a fair fight. Not a fair fight. <laughs> But it's a good fight. We fight the fight of faith because we win. There's one true God and there's the God of this world. This is how it is. The true God and then this lesser being who empowers everything else. Whose power is in sin. Lord told me a long time ago. Holy Spirit told me. So I'm dealing with things. He said Satan has no power. He has no power. He has rights. And in his rights, he manifests power. But in and of himself, he has no power. He has no power. He had no power over Adam. When he stood before Adam in the garden, he had no power at all until he brought Adam into an agreement. And once he brought Adam into an agreement and Adam stepped away, believed a lie, became disobedient and rebellion, he empowered the enemy. He has no power. The Bible says he works in the sons of disobedience. That's where he works. Even in the believer's life. His power is in the lies you believe, the choices you make, 
The associations that you do, the things that you do, the things that you don't do. That's where his power resides. If the enemy is operative in your life, it's because he has a right. He can do nothing but by right. Nothing. Look at Job. He accused Job, what? Of self-reliance. What did he accuse Peter of? Jesus said, Satan has come and asked of you. What is he claiming? A right. He had no power over, over Peter. He had to claim a right against him. And he claimed a right. Peter's like, I'm never going to leave you. I've got a sword. I'll fight to the death. And Lucifer's like, oh yeah? He claims self-reliance. And I claim the right to put him to the test. He claims he doesn't need you, that he has the strength in himself. I claim the right to sift him. And let's see if that's true. Oh, you don't think this is real? I'm telling you exactly how this is. The devil is a fallen angel. He works in atmospheres, realities, deception, and lies. Every other religion apart from Jesus Christ is empowered by devils. Name one. Bible says that all of the gods of men, Deuteronomy, thir- Deuteronomy 36, Leviticus 17, Psalm 96, 1 Corinthians 8, all say that all the gods of men are idols and they that worship them sacrifice to demons. I don't care if you worship Oscar Mayer Baloney, you're sacrificing to a demon. I don't care if you say there is no God, I am my own God, you are sacrificing to a demon. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. That's the first line of the satanic Bible. Do whatever you want. You're your own God. I don't believe in God. I'm my own God. You're, pra- you're, you're practicing Satanist and you don't even know it. Do what thou will is the whole of the law. Any God that is apart from Jesus Christ is a devil. 100%. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. There is no other except him. Not many ways to God. We all don't worship the same God. If your God is not Jesus Christ, we don't worship the same God. So true. That's a fact. Doesn't matter what anybody's opinion says. If you have an opinion that's contrary, you're under the delusion of a lie. And that's exactly what the enemy does. He creates atmospheres, realities, deceptions. He lies to you and creates a reality around the lie. He lies to you and creates a deception around the lie. This is exactly how he works. God doesn't love you. Look around. God doesn't love you. Listen to what they're saying. It's never going to happen. Look at the news. He creates a lie. And what he's trying to do is create an atmosphere around us. What he did with exactly what he did with Adam. God doesn't love you. God's keeping something from you. If God loved you, you could have that tree. That's a lie with a reality, with an atmosphere. You'll be like him, an atmosphere. They didn't already like him. His goal is to get you to agree with a lie and reinforce it. God's not good. We believe lies. That's what happens, man. This is what makes you want to quit. You want to quit because you're believing a lie based upon a reality. Your reality is not true. Just because it's real doesn't mean it's true. Uh Uh-huh. Just because it's real doesn't mean it's true. Reality and truth are two separate things entirely. He creates an atmosphere You feel this oppressive atmosphere or you feel this fear. This is what he's doing. He's weaving chaos and an atmosphere in the world. And people are buying into the lie. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, you do whatever you want. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm just here to state the facts. He weaves chaos and he weaves fear. And he he releases an atmosphere. An atmosphere. Spirits create atmosphere. That's what happens. A spirit of fear creates the atmosphere to despair. Spirit of hopelessness creates an atmosphere. And then there's a reality around it. There's maybe some reasons and you feel the atmosphere. And then you look around and there's the reasons. Then you start listening to the lie. And his goal is to get you to agree with that lie. What's the Holy Spirit doing? He's getting you to, he's trying to get you to agree in faith based upon truth. Not external circumstances. This is what makes us completely different than any other person on the planet. We do not walk by what is seen. We walk by what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal, unchanging. Huh? Exterior circumstances are subject to change. That's what the Bible is saying. You don't live by them. Don't live by the atmospheres. Don't live by the attitudes. Don't live by the realities that you experience. Live by faith. 
The just shall live by faith. It's what God said. The foundation of our faith is the word and the promises of God. Without the word and the promises of God, we have no foundation. It's what he says. It's what he says. Hebrews says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. There we go again. (laughs) Draw near in the midst of everything. Draw near with faith. Hold fast. Which is to say, keep a firm grip on the confession of what? Your faith without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So here we see three, we see several things. First, drawing near, getting into the spirit, moving out of what you're doing. We have assurance of faith. Fill your heart with faith. Fill your heart with faith, not fear, not fear. Two hours of the news, not one hour in the Bible. What was going on here? No teaching, no worship, nothing. But we're bombarded and inundated with all of these negative messages that are based upon a reality and not a truth. Who told you you're going down? Jesus didn't tell me I'm going down. He told me he works all things out to my good. Eh? He told me I'm the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. That's what he tells me. Where's your faith? Draw near, get a grip on yourself and get a grip on the confession of your faith. What's he telling you? Watch what's coming out of your mouth. Well, I don't know. It just looks like everything's just going down. Just like, well, because I don't know. Just going down. You need to start confessing and speaking. Here again, we come back to this idea of open your mouth. You need to be confessing and speaking faith. Doesn't matter what it looks like. We're going through. Doesn't matter what it looks like. We're going over looks bad. God's going to work it out to our good. We're called according to his purpose. God loves me. He is actively seeking my highest good. Nothing can separate me from that. It is written. It is written. Young lions do hunger and suffer lack, but the righteous will never be forsaken. It is written. Did he tell you you're going to be forsaken? He said, I'll watch the lions go hungry, but you won't. The world can go hungry, but you won't. Yeah. Seed to the sower, bread to the eater. He provides. He provides. Hold fast that confession and do not waver. Don't waver. For the one who has promised you is faithful. Who is faithful? The Lord is faithful. People make promises and break them. Jesus doesn't. He doesn't. I'm not a man that I should lie. Right? Have I not said it? Will I not do it? Have I not even purposed it? Will I not bring it to pass? <laughs> no one like him, man. Hold, get a grip on your faith. Get a grip on your word. Get a grip on the promises of God. Get a grip. That's what the Bible's saying. Get a grip. Draw near, fill your heart with faith. How? By confessing the promises. You want to get faith in you? Start speaking the promises over your life. Start speaking. What shall we say to these things? Telling you, a mutinous spirit has come over the church. A spirit of mute. Where we will not speak. We will not speak difficult things. We will not speak promises. We will not speak the glory of God. We are silent. Ezekiel, my watchmen are dumb dogs. Mute dogs that don't bark at the sign of trouble. Mute has come over the church. We think it's holy to be silent. The Bible never says that. Get a grip and start declaring the promises. Exhort yourself. Husband, exhort your wife. Wife, exhort your husband. Kids, exhort your parents. Parents, exhort your children. Sons and daughters, exhort one another. Speak hope in a world of hopelessness. And if there's nobody there, then you speak it to yourself. You leave a message on your phone if you have to. Ring, ring. That's what we were doing. We were planting this church. Three people and $30 in the offering. I wanted to buy bullets. That was me. Wanted to quit. Wanted to quit so bad. College tried. Gave it the effort. Not going to make it. So what do you want me to do, Lord? He's like, you've got one person and $1. You're not quitting. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. How's that going to work? And so I start leaving messages on my phone. Hey, Kevin, just want to let you know the revolution is on, man. It's on. We're going to change the world. We're going to transform cities. We're going to transform nations. 
Some of you need to put a message on your phone. The revolution is on. (laughs) You're not going down. You're going over. The Lord is doing a new thing. Holy Spirit, help me to perceive it. Show me where it's springing up. Show me where the opportunity is. Fill your heart with faith. Here's what you need to know. Faith has no feeling. Faith is neutral. The Spirit has feeling. The the Holy Spirit has feeling. But faith is clarity. Faith is an unwavering certainty. That's how faith feels. Faith feels certain. That's all faith feels. Faith feels clear. You're just completely clear. Fill your heart with faith until everything becomes clear. Fill your heart with faith until everything becomes certain. Until you are sure. That's what faith is. Faith is assurance. The evidence of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. It is an an assurance. It's not an emotion. It's a certainty. The foundation of our faith is God's word. Isaiah 55. My word goes forth from my mouth. It will accomplish what I send it to. It will not come back empty. God's word has a purpose. When he sends his word, it's on a mission. He He doesn't speak idle words. When he speaks a promise, that promise is on a mission. How do you know? Because he says so. When I send my word, it will accomplish what I desire it. And that word will achieve the assignment for which it was sent. God's word's on a mission and God's word's on an assignment. Those promises have an assignment. Those promises are assigned to you. You have angels assigned to you. You have promises assigned to you. Well, where are they? Because you don't activate them. You don't activate the promises. Therefore, they lie dormant. You don't activate the destiny. Therefore, it lies dormant. It's over you, but you have to activate it. We have the spirit of God in us, but we must activate him. We have lights in the room. Let's, but you got you to gotta activate them. You got a car, but you got to activate it. You have a Ferrari sitting in your driveway. And admire it all you want. Oh yeah, that's my Ferrari. You ever take it out of the driveway? No, no, never, no. You ever see what it does? You ever test the engine on that thing? See how it corners? No, no. Never turned it on, never activated it, but it's mine though. That's it. You have promises over your life. You have destiny over your life. You have victory over your life. You have guarantees over your life. But it has to be activated. Those God's promises have an assignment. Every promises of God is, has an assignment. Watch this. Mark 4, 15. Satan comes immediately to take the word that is sown from the heart. What is the devil after? What is he after? Tells us. He's after the word that is sown in the heart. He's after the promises of God and he's trying to steal them from your heart. He's trying to get you to believe and to listen to a voice that's contrary to your father's. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to believe a lie rather than to believe the truth of God's promise that he's spoken over your life. He comes to steal the word. What's he after? He's after the word. How does he do it? Lies, circumstances, and realities. That's how he does it. You need to stop partnering with the lies. Tear down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. God's not good. Tear it down. You're not going to win. Tear it down. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Tear it down. Take it captive. Tear it down. If you don't, it will become a stronghold. It will become a citadel. (laughs) It will become that lie will become a base of operation where the demonic will begin to move in your life. When you believe that God isn't good and he's not for you, the devil will manifest and send out the forces from that lie in your life constantly. He will hamstring you if that lie is embedded in you. He's after the word. Why does he want to do it? Because he knows that the word of promise received with faith and pursued with endurance will bring about the result. That's what he knows. He knows this. But you don't. I don't. We have, to, we have to experience this. We have to press into this. But the devil's fully aware of what the, devil, what the word means with faith and perseverance. He knows that if the word is received, pursued with faith and perseverance, it will bring about the desired result. He knows that. We have to know that. We have to believe that. Be not weary in your well-doing, for in due season you will what? Reap if you faint not. Now what he said? Devil knows it. He's more convinced than we are. <laughs> We have to receive the word, not waver, get a grip on it. Pursue that promise with faith and endurance, which means what? Don't quit. Don't quit. 
Don't quit because of the circumstances. Don't quit because somebody hurts your feelings. Don't quit because you don't like the paint on the wall. Don't quit. If God has told you something, stay the course. You will short track yourself over and over again if you fail to stay the course. So I'm going to go quick through this and then we're going to be done. But I'm, I put a prayer in here because as I was kind of putting these notes together, I felt like the Lord goes, you need to show them how to do this. I'm like, okay, I'm going to show you how to do it. So I'm going to show you how to do a couple things here. So how do we do it? What do we do? Number one, this is how we activate the promises. The first thing we do is we have to purify our hearts. Purify your heart. Eh? Repentance is not a penalty. Repentance is a gift. So we're going to, we're going to do a prayer. If you're watching, I want you to pray this with us. This is a prayer. We've got a little bit more teaching, but this is sort of a, a prayer interlude here. We're going to pray this. Anybody want to pray a prayer? You want to, you want to purify your heart today? Come on, we're going to purify our hearts today. <laughs> James is a great book. They all want something. They're asking. They're complaining why they don't have it. James is like, you don't have it because you ask. You don't ask for it. And if you ask, you ask and miss. And then when you ask and miss, it's because you're impure and you're impure in your hearts. Well, why do you want it? He tells them, purify your hearts, you sinners. Wash your hands. That's what he tells them. Sounds really harsh, but he's actually telling them, look, clean up your act, man. Clean it up. God's going to give it to you, but you got to get some stuff straight. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a prayer of, of repentance, renouncing, and releasing. So let's say it together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before your throne of grace by the new and living way created for me by the blood of Jesus. Before your throne and your assembled court, I renounce every lie that I have agreed with. That is contrary to your word. I renounce every false identity that I have assumed that is contrary to my identity in you. I'm a son or a daughter of the highest. I will never again lower myself beneath the identity that you have established over me. I will never again allow another to lower me beneath the identity that you have established over me. I repent of every agreement made with lies contrary to your word and your promises. I repent for believing circumstances over truth. I repent of every decision I have made, every comfort I have taken as a result of these lies or any of their kind. I cleanse my heart this day I cleanse my conscience this day and I sever all inherited rights associated to me by these lies or any of their kind. I bind myself to faith. I lay a firm grip on your promises. And this day I choose to believe and to agree because the one who promised is faithful in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I'm telling you, that's number one. Yes. <laughs> so number one, purify your heart. Number two, find the promises. Find a promise. Number three, meet the conditions. Is there a promise that has a condition? Find a promise, meet the condition. Number four, make a quality decision that you are going to do what it takes. And quitting is not an option. Quitting is not an option. You're going to do whatever it takes. And then the Bible says this, having done all, stand. And then stand again. How long do I have to stand? Well, according to Ephesians 6, you're supposed to stand and then stand again. Keep standing. <laughs> Find a promise, meet the conditions, make the decisions, do everything it takes and stand. So let's just take a look here at a couple of promises. Let's just take a look here because you're going to see and we're going to, there's, there's a lot of them that I could, we could jump off on. So go to the next slide. So here's the promise of strength. Those who wait upon the Lord, that same language is there. Those who bind themselves, that word wait means to bind yourself or grip onto, same word. Those who grip the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not faint. What's the promise? What's the promise? The promise is renewal of strength. What's the condition? Bind yourself to the Lord. The promise is this is what's going to happen. The condition is activated when you grip the Lord, lay hold of the Lord. So here we have a promise for strength. 
met with a condition. So you need strength. I'm going to lay hold of Jesus and I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go till he changes my name. I'm not letting go till he changes my circumstances. I'm going to lay hold of him by day and by night. I'm going to worship, adoration, nothing else matters. I'm laying hold of the Lord, and I'm going to receive the strength that he promised. Here's the one for wisdom. If anyone lasks wisdom, let him ask. And the Lord gives it liberally, liberally without reproach. It will be given to him. What's the promise? Wisdom. What's the condition? Ask, but just ask the Lord. Right? The promise is, is that God will liberally give you wisdom. If you don't know what to do, the promise is there. God says, I will give you wisdom. And I will not hold you in reproach. I'm not going to, in other words, I'm not going to look at you like an idiot. Seriously, Kevin, haven't we covered this before? He's not going to talk to you like that. (laughs) He's going to look at you and he's going to go, wow, you're coming to me for wisdom. Yeah, Lord, I need it again. I kind of, I didn't remember what you said last time. He's going to give it to you again. He will not reproach you for asking him. So we think, oh, like, oh my gosh, I got to go to Jesus again. Go to Jesus again. He's not going to reproach you. He actually commends you. He commends you for looking to him as the answer to your problems. He commends you. So the condition is wisdom without reproach. But you got to ask the Lord. Here's the here's provision. Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him, and all these things will be added to you. What's the, what's the, what's the promise? What's the promise? That's the condition. What's the promise? Everything is yours. Everything is yours. All what? All these things. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. All that, all that the Father has is mine. That's what Jesus says. Everything belongs to me. And when the Spirit of God comes, he will take from what is mine and he will make it known to you. Everything is yours. How do we manifest what belongs to us? He tells us. How do we miss this? Duh. How do we miss this? So the promise is all things. All things. Fear not, little ones, it's your father's pleasure to give you the good, give you the fullness of the kingdom. The promise is everything. The condition is seek first. Not seek the kingdom, but seek it before every single thing in your life, before you breathe. Seek the dominion of God, the king's dominion. Before I do anything, I want the Lord's mind on this. Before I make any decision, I want the Lord's mind on this. And then do what is right. Righteousness is what is right to the Lord. God says, if you will seek my dominion above everything and you will pursue what is right to me first and foremost before anything, everything's going to be yours. Try it out. Here we go. Direction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your paths. What's the promise? Direction. What's the condition? Lean, trust, trust the Lord. Faith. Stop thinking yourself smart. Lean into your own understanding. I'll give you the greatest key. This is going to offend some people, but I'm all right with it. It offended me. One of the greatest keys to understanding the Holy Spirit is you know nothing. You know nothing. I don't care what PhD you have. I don't care what seminary you come out of. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, if you want to, if you want the spirit of God to move in your life and activate in your life and you want him to counsel you and guide you, you have got to come to the place where you know nothing, nothing. You presume and assume nothing. Sin of presumption is the sin of the church. One of them, we presume and we assume we don't ask enough questions. And we don't pursue the questions until we get the answer. You assume nothing and you presume nothing. You know nothing. Holy Spirit, I want you to take me apart, do all these different things in my life. And he comes to this point and he's like, Kevin, you're a smart guy, but I just want you to know, you know nothing. You don't know anything. I had to come to the place where I know nothing. I know nothing. Everything that I know is set aside. And if he wants to use it, he'll go and get it and bring it to me. All of the tools that I have assembled in my life, spiritually, materially, whatever it may be, I've set it aside. I know nothing. Jesus is like, give me that three-eighths wrench that you got in your toolbox. Oh, you want to use that? Yeah, I want that three-eighths. Now give me, give me that ball-peen hammer that you've been holding on to. Go get me that one. You know, this is how it works. You, you, you're not walking around assuming and presuming and forcing anything. You know nothing. If you, I'm telling you, this is what happens. We think we got it all figured out. Yet there's no power. This is the difference between religion and kingdom. Huge difference. 
Major difference. The answers to these questions are, are right there. We just never ask. I actually started asking, why don't we see the kingdom? Why don't we see this, Lord? What, how do we do, not, not just why, but then how? What do you want? Stop presuming upon me. Stop assuming you know everything when you know nothing. Lean not to your own understanding. Stop looking to yourself for the answers. Stop thinking you're genius. What you do is you may feel like you have an answer and say, Lord, this is what I'm going with. What do you say? No, I don't want to do that. What do you want? He may give you something else. You don't make a decision, an assumption, or a presumption without first presenting it to him. Even if you have a good idea, this is my idea, what do you say? Is this what you want? Yep, we'll go with that. Then go with it. So it's this, it's this, this level of understanding that you know, we have to rise to, soul rest. So there's the promise of direction. You know nothing. <laughs> Happy day. Soul rest. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What's the promise? Rest for your soul, right? Rest and rest for your soul. Emotional rest. How do we do that? We have to come to the Lord, number one, right? We have to take his yoke upon him. In other words, let him lead you. We refuse to let the Lord lead us. That's what the yoke does. The yoke leads you. We refuse to let the Lord lead us. Take my yoke. Let me lead you. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. And learn from me. And then you'll find rest. Do it my way. (laughs) Freedom. You will seek me and you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found of you, says the Lord. And I will bring you out of your captivity. Two promises there. Number one, freedom. And the other one is he will be found. God says, you want to find me? I'll be found. He promises that he will be found. And he promises to release your captivity, whatever your captivity is. Whatever, whatever, people go, if God's real, let him show himself to me. Search for him with all your heart, you will find him. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, reveal yourself to my heart. And he'll take you up on that offer. You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Man searches with God out of arrogance. Man searches with God for God out of intellect. He will not be found of you. He hides in the shadows. The Lord says he clothes himself in the clouds. He's no interest in that. No interest. He wants people who want him. He reveals himself to those who desire him. If you don't desire him, he doesn't show himself to you. Ladies, that would be a good lesson for you because that's the nature of your father. Reveal yourself and give yourself to the one that desires you, that wants you. That's the whole premise of intimacy. Garden and clothes. Husband's not everything that doesn't belong to the world. Ladies, everything that belongs to the one who is devoted to you. Belongs to the one who loves you. That's how God is. You seek me and you will find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found of you. And I will release you from your captivity. Whatever's holding you, whatever's binding you, whatever's, whatever's constraining you. He's promised. So what's my point there? My point is the enemy tries to get you to quit because of fear and all of these nonsensical things. God's trying to stir up faith so that you don't quit and you pursue the promise. But they're not empty promises. They're promises that have conditions upon them. We quote promises like they're poems. Anytime somebody quotes a promise, you need to look the promise up and find the condition. If you're quoting a promise and you don't see the activation of that promise, it's probably because you're not meeting the condition of that promise. Yeah. More than likely, there's conditions. And here's the last one. There's a condition upon salvation. And I just want to talk to everybody that's at home, everybody that's watching Facebook. If you don't know Jesus, there's a promise of salvation. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And again, I say to you that unless you are born again of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, You're not even aware that there's a kingdom out there. You're not even aware of the kingdom that God has. If you're not born again, you certainly not only can you not see it, but you cannot enter it. You're outside of God's kingdom and you're lost and you're hopeless and you're helpless and you cannot save yourself. The only way that you enter God's kingdom, the only way you become a part of God's kingdom is when you become born again. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, first of all, you got to know that God loves you. He's after you. He's pursuing you with a heart for you. He's not out to get you. He's out to gather you. John 3, 16. Here again, we have a promise with a condition. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus wants to give you everlasting life, but you have to believe. 
The promise is eternal life, eternal forgiveness, restoration, healing that you have to believe. You say, how do I believe? It's really simple. If you declare with your mouth, Romans 10, 9, that Jesus is Lord, you say it. And if you believe it from your heart, not your head, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, you believe and are justified. And with the mouth, you profess faith and you are saved. There again, we have a promise. God says, if you will make this promise, you will make this declaration. If you will meet the conditions of the promise, I will activate the promise in your life. If you're not born again and you've never received Jesus, this promise is an immediate activation. God will do it the moment you do it. But you're not going to do it with your head. You're going to do it with your heart. Your mind might be saying, I don't get it. So what? Your heart's saying, do it. Do it. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray just like Romans 10 says. We're going to believe in our heart and we're going to say with our mouth. We're going to say a prayer. Every believer comes to Christ this way. Every Christian comes to Christ this way. We must believe and we must confess. And so we're going to pray here together as a church. And we want you to pray with us at home. And if you've never prayed the prayer, we're super happy for you. And we want to give you a wide open invitation to do it. We're going to pray. Simple prayer. Let's just pray. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior And I need a savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. Everything that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. See, that's it? No, that's the start of it. That prayer breaks the power of darkness off your life. That prayer, that opening prayer, Jesus said, if you open your heart to me, I'm going to come inside of you. And you're going to notice a change. You're going to notice that there's something different. Something different. I had a gal say to me one time, Pastor, I prayed the prayer. How do I know it worked? I said, what's different? She said, I can forgive. I said, was that a problem? She said, oh, it was a big problem. I had another guy said, I don't cuss anymore. I had another guy say, I'm not, I'm not, the anger just doesn't control me anymore. There's going to be a shift in your life that's the evidence that you are born again. Something's going to be different because you're made new. And so we want to honor you. If you prayed that prayer with us, we want you to contact us, Elevate Miami Church at Gmail. We'd love to send you some stuff. And we want to bless you guys. We want to thank you all for being here this morning. We want to thank you all for watching. I'm going to say a prayer over you. This is the priestly blessing that God spoke over his head, commanded Aaron to speak over the people. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may the Lord give you peace. And forever may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Amen. So we're going to take communion together as a group. So kill the thing. I forgot about communion. (laughs) Thank you so much for the communion, like, sign there. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) So we have COVID-approved communion. So it's a, yes, right? We have a wafer in the top and juice in the bottom. Tom spares no expense to bring you the most advanced ways of taking communion. So Jody's going to pray. And as, or not pray, play. Jody's going to pray. She looked at me like, what? I'm going to pray. Jody's going to play. And as she does, just take the, just make your way around, grab the, grab the element and bring it back to you. And you'll figure it out when you pull the top off. There should be two little thingamadeals that I'm not able to do right now. But yeah, so go right ahead. Go, go grab it. Assembled, he brought them together 
and he brought out a wafer, a matzo cracker that had no yeast in it. And the cracker was called the afikomen. And the Jews for centuries didn't understand what the afikomen meant. And the real meaning of the afikomen was only revealed when Jesus was at the Passover dinner. And he brought it out at the end. The afikomen is always eaten at the end of the Passover feast. And it was at the end of the feast that Jesus brought out the afikomen. And he opened it. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. So let's hold it up. Let's just say this. This represents the sinless body of Jesus that was given for me. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. The third cup of the feast, they drank four cups of wine. The third cup was called the cup of redemption. And it is at the exact time following the afikomen that they drink the cup of redemption. Was that coincidence? Not at all. <laughs> it was pre-planned before the foundation of the world. And so as they ate the afikomen, Jesus held up the cup of redemption. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Better promises. Better beginning. This is my blood. He says, I won't drink it anew until I, I won't drink this again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. And so let's hold it up. And say, this represents the blood of Jesus that was given for me. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. Amen. Well, Jesus loves you. Have a wonderful week. We're over time, slightly, but it's all good. Everything's good, right? So get excited, get a grip, have some expectation, and have faith. Don't be rattled by lies and don't be rattled by circumstances. Amen? All right. God loves you. Have a great week.